All right, we were talking last week, though, um, about these sorts of things. And I wondered whether you'd heard that terrific little story about the, the um, Devil's Garage sale. Has, has anyone heard this before? If you have, it doesn't matter. We'll read it again. <laughs> so <laughs> I ask you these questions, and I'm not really interested in the answer to that one. All right, once, a time, once upon a time, it was announced that the devil was going out of business. He had to sell all his equipment to those who were willing to pay the price. On the big day of the sale, all his tools were attractive displays. It was envy and jealousy and hatred and malice and deceit and sensuality and pride and idolatry and impatience. And other implements of the evil was on display. And each of the tools was marked with its own price. Over in the corner by itself was a harmless-looking wedge-shaped tool, very much worn down, but still it bore a higher price than any of the others. And someone asked the devil what it was, and he answered, that's discouragement. And the next question came quickly. And why is its price so high, even though it is plain to see it's, been more, it's more worn than any of the others? Because, replied the devil, it is more useful to me than all these others. I can pry open and get into a man's heart with that when I cannot get near him with any other tool. Once I get inside, I can use him in whatever way suits me best. It is worn well because I use it on everybody. I can, and few people even know that it belongs to me. The tool was priced so high that no one actually could buy it, and to this day it has never been sold. And it still belongs to the devil, and he still uses it on mankind widely. Now, that's got a lot of truth in it, even though it's a bit of a made-up story. But it sort of makes you think about this. Accusation, which we talked about last week, leads to that sort of discouragement. We were, what we were saying is this. We were saying that accusation really is the thing that... Uh, gets you to lose confidence or enthusiasm in yourself and you actually lose courage. You lose your ability because you've got these thoughts about who you are or who you aren't really and so that's the sort of thing that goes on. Synonyms for that are things like to be disheartened or dispirited, all those sorts of things. Cause someone to lose heart. You lose courage. No wonder in, in First Thessalonians and Hebrews, and in, in the number of places, it says, build one another up. It says, encourage one another. It's that sort of thing. And then, when encourage comes along, it means give support or confidence or, or help people gain courage, you know, get up and going again. And again, hearten, cheer up, fortify, rally, invigorate, vitalize, revitalize. That's, they're good pictures, aren't they? So we are being asked to encourage one another rather than discourage one another. So on one side, we're going to get discouraged because he's just going to have a go at us. The father of all lies is going to hit us with all sorts of stuff and we become discouraged. Well, you and I get together and we encourage one another and say, don't worry about that. You know, that is just not true. Well, you don't have to worry about it. You are, you're not that bad looking after all. <laughs> that sort of thing. You know, that's, that's the sort of thing that you might be, might be wanting to say to one another. Well, I say that to my wife all the time. The fab four of accusation, we said this, that one was the definition. Knowing about it really is half the battle. Knowing where it, where it comes from is half the battle, and we're halfway towards winning the battle if we know about it. The second thing we said, Satan simply accuses. He pulls us down, but he's not the judge. You know, this is not a sentence we have to serve. This is not, he is not the judge. He is just the accuser. God is the judge, and he snatched us from the fire. That the verse we talked about like a burning stick statue from the fire is there any truth in the accusation we confess it we repent it we ask for forgiveness we restore and we get on with living we don't stay there all right so that's where we were this is today of course deception and this is the big one it comes from it, it was sown right in at genesis and it was there when 
the, that slithering little cow came up and he said, did God really say that? He's actually holding something back from you. Did God really say that? And this comes in as wormed into our lives so often in so many different ways. And he says, did God really say that? Do you really think that he said he's trying to hold something back from you? Don't you believe it? And when we go on and talk about deceive, it's to purposely mislead, persuade of what is false, to seduce, to flatter, to con, to delude, you know, to get your thinking in a slightly different way than you normally would or you would if you're actually thinking godly thoughts. All right, it's quite surprising how deceiving and being deceived is talked about in the Bible. In the, in the New Testament, that, that 58 is a pretty loose sort of figure. I just had a quick run through my, um, my concordance and found that deceive or to be deceived 58 times easily, but it doesn't even talk about implied things like don't be misled along those lines. It doesn't talk about those sorts of things. And so we sort of go along and we know that it is quite a big thing that we are actually deception is one of those things that can quite easily creep in and have a go at us in fact neil anderson who we've quoted a few times over these these messages he says satan's worldwide work is really characterized by this concept of deception and we sort of know about it and we certainly live in a time and this is where i sort of got a bit you know, tell you about what I was going to say because I wanted to say about a few things about this but we certainly live at a time is it only the last 20 or 30 years I sort of think it is we'll talk about that in a minute where there's just this tsunami of deception creeping into our society and it's, it comes in through television internet, social media, politics education, in fact politics isn't that terrible, did you see why that person, why they had to have that uh, election in Western Australia just uh, this weekend? You Western Australians know about this. Because the, the sitting member had lied about, first of all, his, his medals from uh, his army service, and secondly, his education. And so he got found out, and he had to resign because he got found out, but he thought it was, uh, it was probably okay. That is just terrible. In fact, our, our political system, they, they tell us anything. I, I'll say more about that in a minute. That's why I was not that keen to say too much. But really they dictate a new normal to us and they say this is okay now this is the way to live we don't mind everybody's doing it everyone's thinking it and maybe it's even a little bit better than you thought it was before and a lot of that Isaiah 520 creeps in where we start calling good bad and bad good and we call bitter sweet and sweet bitter that sort of thing creeps into us and we we're actually sort of really struggling with it I mean this we're being led to believe things and live in ways that just aren't godly and not after God's heart. They're not biblical. They're not orthodox Christianity. But before we go on, I want to talk about this. Right, now this is reasonably, this is where I sort of had a bit of a struggle. All right. I want to tell you something before we start. We're going to talk about things like abortion. We're going to talk about divorce. We're going to talk about a little bit about uh, things like gay marriage. And I wanted to say this to you before we started. I wanted to say to you that I don't think many of our families anymore are too far away from any of those sorts of things. And I wanted to say to you, in our family, we've got two divorces. And when I say family, I'm only talking about my immediate sister or and sister and brother, okay? So there's two divorces in that little passage of, of play. There's two abortions in that little passage of play. And... Um, I've got a niece who is now living with her partner and they, they are married, they got married overseas and it was just recognised when they um, recognised gay marriage in Australia. 
So those sorts of things are pretty close to all of us in some sort of ways. And what I want to say to you is this, there's only one way of dealing with those sorts of things, and that it is with love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Now, as soon as I say forgiveness, I reckon that you might think, oh, it's a bit arrogant. You know, why would I be wanting to forgive them? What I mean when I say forgiveness is that you release them from our judgment. We don't start doing the job that is God's job, and he's the one to judge them. So we release them from our judgment, and then we get about sort of working with them in a very, very lovely sort of way. Acceptance doesn't mean accepting their behavior, but it means accepting them. And so we love them. We accept them as people in a very, very real way because they're very close to us. And then we don't hold them to our judgment. One, things that, one of the things that I was worried about here is, was that I thought if I start talking about this, you'll think, you'll think that I'm on that right-wing spectrum of, uh, of conservative spectrum of politics and right well over... But don't, don't believe that. Um, we, we are apolitical, Anne and I. We find we're so disappointed in p the politics, really, that we almost become apolitical. We just don't, we're not one thing or the other. I will not even put a Richmond sticker on my car so that I'm designated as a Richmond supporter, even though I've been supporting them for years, okay? So I don't like being tabbed. I don't like being put into a box like that. So, so that, I wanted to say that to you before we start. We just do not want to be sort of tabbed. But nonetheless, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about really are, they're, they're outside the bounds of our orthodox Christianity. Now, this is Tom's theory of everything, and I wanted to say this to you. That's, this is Tom's theory of everything. I don't know where this goes, really, but this is what I was thinking. Over the last, um, when we were growing up, and now I'm getting on a bit, so I was, gonna, I was thinking that uh, this is probably when, we, when we're talking about it. We're probably talking about 30 years ago. 30 years ago, we would have grown up with largely the moral compass of our society was the Bible. Wouldn't you have said that? Now, when I say the moral compass, I mean, if you were going to make a decision in our society, it basically boiled around to the values that were expressed within the Bible. Now, 30 years ago, that was the case. I reckon the church did itself a bit of a disservice in taking that, that's the moral compass, that's the, what the Bible says about things, and we as a church sort of decide to say, well, maybe that's not tight enough. And so we tighten things up a bit. And suddenly we weren't allowed to go dancing or playing cards. I've got a mate who grew up in the, in the uh, Essendon Baptist Church and they definitely weren't allowed to dance. He, in fact, he never ever, that was one of their rules. And you can understand why they might have brought that rule in because they didn't want people to get too close and therefore other things might happen. I've got a mate in Corio who said, I've noticed this, that anybody who plays cards a lot really just don't have a spiritual, good spiritual life. <laughs> so we fail on all, all of those counts, to be honest. We just really fail. And because it probably would lead you to gambling. We used to play 500 with our son and daughter-in-law and, and we used to play a game of tennis with it. And so in the end, you have to, our first, you have to get to six to get win a set of tennis. So we had to win six times and then you had to win three sets out of the five. And then, of course, there was something out of that. We were gambling, really, because they had to take us out of a tea if we won. Or we had to take them out to tea with one. The reason we stopped playing was that we started out playing really well and we, we could beat them, but in the end, we couldn't beat them anymore, so we stopped playing. <laughs> but that sort of thing is true, isn't it? So we had this moral compass that we probably adjusted a bit too much, 
And when it came back again, we probably as a church collectively breathed a bit of a sigh of relief and said, yeah, that's, that's loosening up a bit and we don't mind that. But we didn't realise it was just going straight through. And in fact, now the moral compass of the society is right over here and largely gained by people like celebrities, public opinion, social media, politicians, all of those sorts of things. You know, they are the ones that now scream what is right and what is wrong. And we've lost the biblical standard, really, for our moral compass. And so we're drawing on people who, who we sort of uplift and elevate in ways where we probably shouldn't do it. All right, so that's my theory of everything. <laughs> How about these sorts of things? These are quite, really quite interesting. And this is where I don't definitely do not want to offend anyone. And in fact, I don't, and I hope I don't. I was talking to a mate of mine, Ken Lister. Now, Ken was, um, was fortunate enough to join his son in a little island. His son goes up, he, he teaches in a place in uh, Mackay, and they, as a school, they sponsor kids from up around Thursday Island, up in that area, and they go and travel there now and again. He, was, he visited his son up in Thursday Island, and Ken was talking about talking to this old fellow who was obviously the, one of the leaders, one of the elders of the group of people, and he happened to be a pastor. And Ken was talking to him about the stolen generation, and this is what he said. Pastor Nelson was sitting, asked about the stolen generation, and he said, oh, I was part of that, he said, you know. But in fact, for me, it wasn't that bad. I was actually placed with a white couple who did, who were just fantastic to me. And they led me to the Lord and I became a Christian. And he said, they were just a lovely Christian couple and I really thought of them very much so as mum and dad. He said, I know though, that for some people it was horrific. And then he, said, he stopped for a minute and he said, you know, what really upsets me though is the lost generation. And he went on to say this, and Ken said, oh, what do you mean? What's the lost generation? He said, look at these kids running around here now. He said, they're my grandchildren, and my kids can't look after them. Because really what happened is um, there was, wasn't much work and no training around this sort of place, and so they got paid sit-down money. Isn't that a great term? They got paid sit-down money, and in fact, all they did was spend it on alcohol, drugs and gambling and carver parties. And really, they don't work and they thieve from one another. And it really is a terrible thing that's happened to my community in that particular place. And he said they can't look after their kids and we have to look after them for them. And then he said, he, Ken looked at him, he said he had saw tears running down his eyes. And he said, what really worries me is who's going to look after my kids when... Um, we are not around any longer to, to look after them. Now this was a couple of years back and it's just most recently this fellow was visited again by Ken's son and he's in hospital in a bit of strife. He's just about on that point of his life. Really isn't it amazing though, that sit down money. Now where does this come back to when we're talking about um, you know, deception? We are actually in a very funny sort of a way in our society. Now this is where I didn't want to get anyone offside. There's definitely people who need support, and we should support them without any question. But there's a lot of people who probably don't need sit-down money. It's the worst thing you can do for them. But we're not allowed politically to say anything, anything about that, are we? In fact, it would be terrible to say anything about it. And so we are sort of deceived into thinking, well, maybe that's all right. That's a terrible thing. The second thing, what was the second one? Queensland Parliament. This is a terrible thing, honestly. This is just shocking. 
you will you will not you will sit with me and say oh that is just shocking can you say that with me before I read it this is just shocking all right the Queensland opposition yesterday declared lying season open as a controversial bill passed through the House allowing MPs to lie in Parliament without fear of prosecution. Isn't that a fascinating thing? Where the dick... Where did, did that come from the moral compass here? No, and suddenly it's come from the moral compass over here and we are being deceived into thinking that that's not a bad thing. That is, a, that, that is suddenly the new normal. That is just... That is terrible. I, I look at that, and and in fact we know that there's a few a bit of that going on. Just even now, recently we said we heard that. All right, that was a fairly old sort of statement, but that's well and truly on. How about this one? After years of spent focusing on careers and raising children, more Australian retirees are realising they have little in common with their partners and are seeking divorce. Okay, the divorce rate for people aged 60 plus has risen 55% for males and 63% for, uh, for females since 1985. So we are deciding, we get to this stage of our lives and we think, Phew, I'm looking at Anne and thinking I might trade her in for a nicer, younger model. I think that sounds like a great idea. Trouble with divorce, those two divorces in our families they had no hope of surviving. There was definitely reasons for those to be a legitimate divorces. And again, we would say, wouldn't we, that we know that, and this is where I didn't want to get into too much trouble, okay? So we just know that there's divorces that, you know, have broken down. But that one, where does it, where does it come off where, where it says, the Bible says, you should actually rejoice in the, in the wife of your youth? And in fact, Ken's got another story there where his son and daughter-in-law, they were the first people I married, and they were really struggling. In fact, you would think that they should have got divorced. And somehow they worked through it. And now, you're saying to me this week, they are just back on, on the right place and the right page and doing very, very well with one another. You know, it is just astounding, isn't it? So those sorts of things, I'd actually probably agree with you. No-fault divorce is you know, so easy to do it now. You can just walk in and walk out of marriage. But understanding, though, like we said with the with the welfare there's definitely reasons for and there's definitely reasons where you wouldn't want to say stay there as well that's why it's that's why i said you were going to get in a bit of trouble and that's why i didn't really want to go there too much all right but there's heaps of them you know when you start talking about gay marriage and when you start talking about um, abortion and when you start talking about uh, divorce or even euthanasia now i just want to say to you this whether you agree with it or not or whether there's room there there is definitely, that is not ever been regarded as orthodox Christianity. You know, it's, we've, we've had it for hundreds of years, even thousands of years, where those sorts of things haven't been regarded as orthodox Christianity. But, you know, you take it and have it wherever you like. But now you see things, other things, like um, language, in, on, language on TV and film. It's amazing. We can remember when, um, who was that fellow who had the crow call on television? He lost his job because of that. Don't, Graham Kennedy lost his job because of that and now I mean it's oh, that would be the tamest thing that you get on television that is just nowhere near it disciplining our kids is another one that is another fascinating one you're just not allowed to discipline your kids it's just those sorts of things are now the new normal and we're starting to be asked to believe those sorts of things and live like that you know two jobs necessary to pay for huge houses uh, all of those sorts of things are really part of it and I've got another one here, you know, you, these are another heap of them. My daughter-in-law and I were going to write a book, uh, Societal Lies, 
We haven't been going to do it just yet because we'd probably say things that wouldn't be right. But alcohol makes you cool and fit in. Uh, gambling lets you take control. That's another one, isn't it? In fact, if you take control and you don't even have to bet $50 anymore, you can bet $500. Take control. Be in control. That's what the ads say. And the other one is if you want to be really, truly free, really free, buy a caravan. Amazing, isn't it? I mean, it really is quite, quite fascinating. All right, I'm going to stop. That's, that's Tom's theory on everything. And I'm not really that right wing. I'm not really that right wing. I just look at these things and I'm really disappointed because, you know, we are just being sold a lemon, you know, and it comes so often in through our lives. And there is probably a couple of ways of doing it. Lighthouse, looking to the lighthouse, great song, ripper. All right, let's keep going. All right, I wanted to do this. I wanted to just quickly run through some New Testament ideas about being deceived. Some of these speak for themselves. Every now and again, we might elaborate on one or, the other, one or two of the other ones. Right, the first one is this, group one. We deceive, which we're talking about, we deceive ourselves. We've got a little bit of our own responsibility here. But we are deceived if you hear the word, but you don't do it. Okay, now that's not new to us, isn't it? That's what we sort of, we would believe that. We think, you know, you read something in the Bible and we say, oh, maybe not. My son went for his license Oh, I told you the story, he went for his license and, uh, and he didn't get it. And so we gave him a, a, a lesson with a driving instructor. The driving instructor came back and he said, he's really very good. The only, it's only one thing that he does that he's really got to make sure he doesn't do. He rolls through the stop signs. Isn't that astounding? In fact, here we are, we read the word but we don't do it, we sort of roll through that stop sign or that go sign or that indi indication sign and we just get on the other side of it and then we just speed up again and forget it. So that's one of those things. We deceive ourselves when we think we're religious, religious in the very best terms there, you know, we are godly people and we don't control our tongue. You know, gossip a bit, tell someone what you think quite, you know, strongly, you embellish it a bit, little white lie. We deceive ourselves um, or are we deceived when we say we've got no sins? Now, we've been talking about the fact that we're not uh, sinners who saint a bit, but we're saints who sin a bit. And the trouble is, we never quite win that battle. We know. In fact, uh, we were listening to a song on the way up uh, who is Gordon Lightfoot, and he sang, If you could read my mind, love what a tale my thoughts would tell. Now, I tell you what, we don't ever want our, our minds open as a book, do we? Because we probably would find that there's a few bits in there that we'd have to confess and say, oh, I'm sorry about that. We deceive ourselves uh, when we think we're something, when we're nothing. You know, we are who we are simply by the grace of God. Next week, we're going to talk about humility because we've got to bring that balance back in from what we've been saying. We've been elevating ourselves to some degree in what we've been saying. We've got to actually sort of bring that back to where it is. All right. And we deceive ourselves when we think we're wise in this age. One of the things when we were, we were very fortunate, actually very fortunate to wander across the different parts of the world, but you come across places like St. Paul's Cathedral, St. Peter's in, uh, in Rome, the Colosseum, the Acropolis, Canterbury Cathedral, all those sorts of things. And the one thing that really stood out to me is, I think, fancy us thinking we are the, the epitome, the top level of intelligence that the, the people who lived on the earth those people did amazing things those those buildings are just just beyond belief aren't they 
And then you come up with the Bishop Spong and Francis McNabb, I think that's his name, who, who now have come up with uh, this, this fresh understanding about Christianity where Jesus isn't uh, deity is, and in fact he wasn't born of a virgin. All those sorts of things have sort of crept in. They're still Christians, so they say, but they don't believe those sort of basic things. Malcolm Muggeridge, who it was an atheist who decided to figure out whether it was right or wrong, and in doing so, as so many of them do, found out it was right, he said, how arrogant to think that we are the chosen generation for the Lord to return to. Actually, I, think, I sort of agree with that. I think we, you know, we spend a lot of time saying the Lord will be returning soon, but if you read the New Testament, they thought that right back then as well. It's really something that has been an ongoing thing. We deceive ourselves when we think we won't reap what we sow. Now again, you sow good things, you get good things. You sow bad things, you get bad things. You sow friendship, you get friendship. If you sow, you know, discord, you get discord, don't you? It is just one of those rules of life that the longer you live, the longer that is true. The longer it is just seems to be the way it goes. We are deceived when we think the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God. And we look at that list and we sort of underline the biggies like sexual immorality or adulterers, but it just puts in there with the greedy as well. So when you jump in and get an, an, that extra bit of cake before the other fella, well, I tell you what, you're in a bit of strife. No, but anyway, it's, it's slanderers. You start talking about people along those lines. We deceive with ourselves when we think we can continually associate with bad company and not be corrupted. Good health isn't contagious, but bad health often is, isn't it? You know, you think along those lines. We, Mark and I were out uh, when we were in Corian. We had a, we had a friend who had a, it almost looked like he grew rocks in his paddock. It was just a paddock full of rocks. I don't know where he got his rock seed from, but he got it. So we're out, we're out in this paddock and we were picking up rocks to do a bit of gardening. And this rock wasn't, it was big enough for us to pick up. It wasn't that big, but we pulled it up and underneath it was a frog and a snake. And we looked at one another and thought straight away, and we had this, <laughs> this great little conversation. He was only sort of 13, 14 at that stage. And he thought, he thought, if you were the frog, you wouldn't want to hang around there too long, really, would you? This just happened in the middle of winter, and he's just lucky at the, at the moment that it is the middle of winter and the snake's not that keen on having a feed. But if he hangs around there for too long, there's only one result there, that he will be food for that snake. And you just, you know, you keep bad company, you will suffer eventually. False prophets and teachers, deceiving spirits, often from within the church, we, we are warned about that. You know, that's really very, very difficult to deal with. Just when do you decide that it is false and how far do you take it? You know, churches, I know all the churches that we've been in, not while we're in them, but previously or post, have had trouble with sort of that sort of stuff. And we, we battle with now, that now and again. We're just not quite sure how to do it. But we do know that discernment is really such an important foundational gift. And solid food is for the mature who, because of their practice and because of the lighthouse in their lives, they really have known or have the senses trained to discern that evil from good. And in fact, it's called the gift of the Spirit, and we probably need to trust that uneasy feeling a bit, but also test it. We don't just sort of live with it. All right, now I wanted to start with these. I, I wanted to say to you this, that um, we went to Wilma's place the other day and she had these, and we, we, she gave us a feed that you wouldn't believe. She made scones that looked like little loaves of bread. They were wonderful. They were just magnificent. I had two, 
and then I didn't eat for a day after that. So that's how good they were. They were just lovely. And the, the group of people was fantastic. And she had these gladdies, which I've asked her to bring along. They are just lovely, aren't they? Aren't they just beautiful gladdies? All right. Any comments about those lovely gladdies? Like, yes, isn't that lovely? They just they've still got a little bit to come out, those ones, but they continually grow to the tips. All right. Any other, any other comments? That's that is one of the things that is yeah that is lovely about them. Ah ah, how do you know that? Oh, that's unfair. That is unfair. How many people are sitting there not re wouldn't have picked that necessarily? Wouldn't have picked it necessarily. That's true, isn't it? Because they're they're actually they they look lovely. In fact, they are very 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 good um, fakes, aren't they? And we sort of end up with this, this is part of our life. We end up with these very good fakes that we really don't know about. So they're magnificent, but it really is, in fact, life is littered with those sort of things that are just plain fakes, and we're not sure about them. We don't know whether they're really fakes or not. And how do you work out whether it's fake or not? All right, now I want this one thing really above and beyond anything else about why they are fakes. What is it? Give me a giving a couple of answers. They don't have water. They don't grow. Don't grow. You, that's not my answer yet. What's that? They're not living. That's true. They're not perfect. No. Anyone? I'm, yeah, well, I haven't got the word yet. We haven't quite got it. Can I? <laughs> can I just give you a vague hint? What's the date? They are summer flowering plants. <laughs> that's, but that's the point, isn't it? If you if you don't know that there's not not summer flowering plants, in fact, you're supposed to put them in in spring, so that come December, or put them in in the spring, so that come the 20th of December, you've got heaps of gladdies for your wedding. That's what happened to you, didn't you? Mum did that, and then we had a late season, and we didn't get any. So you just don't know. But they are summer flowering plants. Isn't that astounding? <laughs> we could have, had, could have had fake ones. That's a ripper. All right, so, but good gardeners know, and they, they shouldn't be flowering in June. In fact, it's too good. If it's too good to be true, then it probably is. It probably is a fake. You know, if you, we might have been able to import them from uh, Netherlands, but in fact, we didn't, and they've been sitting around for a while. And we feel and we look closer, we smell them, etc. We, we know the gladdies because we, you know, we just know that if you got a bit closer, the closer you get, the more chance you've got of knowing. However, what we need to do, of course, and we've said this a few times just lately, we've got to actually trust that the God is for us, that the, the Lord is for us, and he's not holding his best from us, that all of those things are right, and we have to know him and his word better and better and better. And then, of course, we are trained to recognize and know the difference between good and evil. I'm going to stop there, folks. I'm, I'm sorry I've rambled on. You've got a lot of just what Tom Buscom thinks here this morning. But connected, and I suspect that we've got a few bits as well. And we'd, there's just no offence. We don't, no offence about any of those sorts of things. Everything we've said, the trouble is the deception that we, we get flooded with through our televisions has got a fair bit of truth in it as well. In fact, the best deception we said last week, the best, things, the best accusation is when it's got a bit of truth in it. And you look at it and think, oh, there's a bit of truth in that. And so maybe I'm not thinking far enough to that way.
but we'll, we'll pray together and just leave it in the Lord's hands. Let's pray. Lord, when we start looking at deception, we, we know that we're surrounded by it and we know that the best thing um, in order to fight it is to know the real thing um, so very, very well so we're not deceived, we're not sort of sidetracked, that we're not put off the path. And so, Lord, we just uh, trust, first of all, your presence in us to sow into us, you know, a little bit of questions about, question marks about things that might be wrong, first of all. And secondly, Lord, sow, sow into us a love for the Bible, a love for the Word, so that we, you know, never, never get sick of reading it, never get sick of uh, it, learning from it and gaining wisdom from us from it so that we become people who um, can discern good and evil because we understand and we've got experience in what you think I, I've done what I try not to do Lord I've just gone along with words there I really mean would you make us as individuals men and women after your heart would we walk with you so that becomes the case and also for you to make this church and this church is uh, active involvement in that, in making you a church after your heart, more and more and more so. Thank you, Lord. We just trust you for that. And we thank you what you've already done because it, it is such a delightful group of people. And we pray that in Jesus' name.